we have a house in University City. It's an older house. It's probably about 100 years old. And when we bought the house, I noticed that uh, after a, a couple months, there were some features about the house that probably I would have liked to have known about before I purchased the house, uh, but I learned about afterwards. And, and, and that's partly because some of those features uh, uh, of the house had been covered up. Uh, maybe a little bit of paint over here, a little bit of stucco over here, uh, and, and you start to find things about the house over time that you didn't know. One of the things that I discovered, well, when, I first, when we first got the house, one of the things I noticed is that the front porch was painted. Now, I've not, I've not really seen that before. I know that's kind of a thing. People will paint concrete, but I had never really seen that on a front porch, but there was like a coat of paint on the front porch of our house. I thought, Okay, you know, that's not a deal breaker. Um, so uh, it, it looked okay. At about a month or two after we bought the house, some of the paint started chipping up. And I thought, well, you know, maybe it's just old paint, you know, and it, it's just coming up and we'll repaint it. Well, as time went on, not only did paint start coming up, but sometimes the paint would come up and a little bit of concrete would be stuck to the paint. Uh, and these chips went from like this size to like this size. And chips and paint and things started coming up all over the porch. So I thought, okay, this is just getting weird. Uh, I'm going to get this paint off of here. I'm going to take the paint off the porch and let's just see what's going on. We hired a guy. He came out and I said, could you just power wash this porch? He said, sure, no problem. Power wash the porch. Got all this paint off the porch. When he got the paint off the porch, I started thinking, was that a good idea? Because underneath the paint, there were these cracks and these fissures and these gaps and these sort of like caverns in the concrete um, that you couldn't see when it was covered with paint. And so I thought, okay, now this is just weird. I don't understand what, what, what's happening. So I'm going to call a concrete guy out and, and let him tell me what's going on. So I called a, a guy that had done a lot of work in University City. I said, hey, man, I said, you know, this, this porch is looking all weird. There's gaps and holes and little cracks and stuff. Here's what I want you to do. I said, I want you to just pour about an inch and a half of concrete over the top of this porch. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to go ahead and repaint that. Or I might even put like a decorative veneer over the top, little pebbles or something really neat. You know what I mean? And it'll look really great. And he's standing there looking around and not saying much. And then he goes around, looks at the side of the house. And then he says, can I look inside the house? I'm like, okay, we're just talking about the porch, but okay. Let him inside of the house. He's looking around inside the house. He goes, after his examination, he goes, listen, he said, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. I said, oh, really, why, why is that? And he said, well, because the cracks are not the problem. The cracks on your porch aren't the problem. And I said, well, in my mind, that's precisely the problem, which is why I called you out here. He said, no, the cracks are not the problem. The cracks are a symptom of a bigger problem. He said, let me show you something. Took me to the side of the house. Side of the house, the bricks on the front of the house had been starting to separate from the bricks on the side of the house. He said, let me take you into your family room. Brought me into the family room. He said, you see these cracks spider webbing across your front of your family room? I go, yeah, I did notice that. I was going to call the painter about that one. Um, he said, listen, here's the problem. He said, you could fix the cracks on your porch, but they're all going to come back. And more than that, he said, this entire front of your house could collapse because the problem is not the cracks. The problem is the foundation under this concrete porch. It is compromised. It is shifting. It is shifting away from the house and it's taking the front of your house with it. So I could come and patch over the cracks, but you'll be calling me back in a couple months 
Or actually, you'll be calling somebody else because the front of your house will have been collapsed. I said, well, all right. So they came and they had to take out the entire foundation of, of the porch and lay a whole new porch. Today, we're in part six of Kingdom Agenda and we're talking about kingdom marriage. We're talking about relationships. Now, some of you may not be married today. Some of you are single. Some of you are divorced. Some of you are widowed. But all of us are in relationships with someone. And you may have noticed that every once in a while in relationships that you're in, cracks start to form. Fissures start to form in that relationship. Gaps start to open up in that relationship. And especially in a marriage, you can go around and try to paint the cracks. You can try to cover over the struggles and the little symptoms of problems in your relationship, right? But if we don't examine the foundation, if we don't fix the foundation, we're going to find that that relationship keeps breaking apart. And ultimately, and we see this all the time, that relationship is subject to collapsing if we don't address the very foundation of what's going on in our relationships. Now, if you're single today or, or, or not married or divorced or widowed, um, please don't feel like, okay, I'm going to check out of this, of this sermon because this is a sermon about marriage. Um, the principle that the scripture gives us about marriage is universally applicable to all relationships. In fact, it is the bedrock of Christian relationships. So I'm going to give you today a principle that transcends every kind of relationship. And if you get a hold of it, especially in marriage, but in every relationship, if you get a hold of it, I guarantee you this principle can transform your relationship from the ground up. Not a patchwork, not a paint job, not a thin veneer, not a decorative pebble, a, a brand new foundation. Um, I'm going to invite my wife to come join me uh, as we open up this sermon today. And my wife um, happens to be my, my very favorite person in the world. Um, we are by no means experts in marriage, uh, but we're not rookies either, okay? We've got, we're, we're coming up on 10 years. I feel like that takes you out of total novice land. Um, we got four babies. Um, she had four babies. I, I, didn't, I didn't have any, but she... she, she um, and, you know, we've, we've experienced things in life, and 10 years down the road, it turns out that we actually really like each other, and we love each other. I mean, isn't that, is that, is that right? Okay, good. All right, good. That was exactly the answer that I, that I was hoping to hear. But, but in many respects, our relationship is exactly like every relationship that begins right when you're thinking about marriage, or getting ready to get married, or wondering about marriage. We walk into our relationships with a big box of desires. We have desires, we have hopes, we have dreams, we have aspirations, we have imaginations about what our life will look like when we get married, what that relationship is going to look like. Rebecca, would you mind to share what some of those ideas, aspirations, dreams, hopes would be possibly for some people? Yeah, sure. So... I imagine that we'll live in a big, beautiful house, and we'll drive um, fancy cars, those cars which my husband will maintain, wash, change, rotate the tires, you know, change the oil, Sure. those kinds of things. Um, 
Then my husband will uh, come home from work on time every day. <laughs> and that on his way home, he'll stop by the store and grab me some flowers just because he knows I like flowers. Perhaps he'll bring home some gifts. And amen, sister. Um, he'll make a lot of money at that big law firm. And um, we'll live in a perpetual state of romance all the time. <laughs> Right? I mean, right? These are some ideas, some desires, some imaginations, some things. Um, you know, um, but then on the other hand, maybe instead of keeping that, you know, that big job at the big firm, you know, we'll, we'll have a life where we just pursue our passions um, and our alternative career. Um, and we won't need the big house or the big cars. We'll just travel the world and we'll go hiking and camping out all over the place in exotic places. And, you know, I imagine that when I come home, I might be a few minutes late, but, but, but my wife will have a delicious dinner ready at the table and the kids will be sitting there freshly combed and clean and, and it'll, it'll be a kumbaya moment for all of us. And, of course, the, the house will be all tidied up and and, 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 you know, my wife will be doing things during the day that I know she just enjoys, activities um, that I'm sure she enjoys because I know my mom surely enjoyed those same activities. And she'll want to... Not she, his mama. <laughs> she'll want to change those diapers on those babies. You know, that kind of thing. Right, babe? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, at nights when... I imagine we have babies and I would be up two, three, four, five times in the middle of the night. Then, you know, maybe around three or four o'clock, my husband will wake up and say, babe, how can I help you? But then on the other hand, um, <laughs> you know, she'll, she'll want me to get my sleep so I'm refreshed in the morning. So she'll, she'll want me to put on an eye mask and block out the light and get some earplugs so the baby's cries don't resonate too loud with me. Is, is that... Is that what we we're both those dreaming about? Those are real. About? Like, he, he really uses those. Those are, those are real. Those are... I mean, right? Am I right? Married couples? I mean, we have dreams. We have ideas. We have hopes, aspirations, desires for our marriage when we get married. Did she do a great job or what? Come on. Here. Babe, I want you to have these. Um, here you go. I bought those. <laughs> uh, Here's the thing. When we come into the marriage, we have these dreams. Maybe some of them we communicated. Maybe some of them we didn't. Maybe some of them we thought we communicated and we actually didn't. But here's what happens in a marriage. These dreams, these desires, these hopes about the things that we think that we're going to have when we get married, they actually go from the desire box to the expectation box. And we go from like, wow, wouldn't it be nice to... Gee, I just expect that he will do X, Y, and Z. Or I just expect that she's going to do X, Y, and Z, right? And we go from, I would love it if, to I can't believe that he or she isn't or wouldn't or doesn't do that or this. Here's the one thing that all of these things share. Now, these dreams and desires and hopes are not bad right? I mean, that's, the, the, what else could you bring? You bring hopes and desires. You bring things to the relationship. So they're not inherently bad, but here, here's what they all share in common. They all share a big I. They share a big me. I hope, I dream, I expect, 
I want, I desire, this is the way I see a relationship. Now, when we're single, that's okay because it is you. And although you have to, I and I and you, and, you know, in a family or on a team or on a job or at school, a lot of your life is just, okay, I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go get that thing, right? And you're not asking anybody else and you're not, nobody else is in your decision-making matrix, right? But when you get into a real intimate relationship with somebody else, your big I becomes two big eyes. You go from I to I and I. And here's the thing about having two big eyes in a relationship. Two big eyes don't always see eye to eye. All right? Two big eyes have their own expectations, dreams, hopes, aspirations, and assumptions about the relationship that isn't always mutually shared by the other eye. Rebecca and I had a um, disagreement a few months ago. And I honestly don't remember what it was about because, you know, most of these things you, you just don't even remember afterwards. They seem so important right at that moment. We had a disagreement about something and, um, and it was really just because we have two eyes in the relationship, right? And she expected things to be one way and I expected them to be a different way. And so we, we had this argument about it. And then I thought she had left, left the house and I had, I had to go in the basement to get something. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm aggravated. I'm frustrated because we're just not seeing eye to eye and I can't get her to see it my way, right? Because I was really, you know, putting all my best legal arguments and all of that, you know, and somehow they just didn't, didn't penetrate. And so I'm walking through the basement and I'm doing that thing that I know none of you do. Uh, I was like muttering under my breath. I can't believe she's just, I mean, I mean, what is she thinking? I mean, I just, and I'm walking through the basement going, I mean, that's just what a wife does, right? I mean, isn't it? You know, like, right? And nobody's hearing this, right? And, and I'm down there and I'm, and as I'm walking through, there's a, an object on the floor right in front of me. And what I thought it was, I thought it was like one of those really thin little um, plastic plant holders that you put inside of a ceramic, a heavy plant holder. And it's one of those little plastic things, super thin, weighs about two ounces. And I, I saw it sitting there in front of me. And you know how you do, um, or at least I do sometimes. Um, I was walking along and rather than just stop and pick it up and, and set it down, I thought, yeah, I'm just going to kick it out of the way, right? Because... It would make me feel tough or something or something like that. I'm not sure why. But it's sitting there and I'm thinking in my mind, I can't believe it. And I go to kick this little two ounce thing out of the way. Well, it turns out not to be one of those plastic little inserts. It turns out to be a heavy duty ice bucket. And instead of it flying across the room like I thought it would, it moved about three inches and the rest of the force reverberated back into my toe, up my leg, and about knocked me out. I mean, I mean, even if you just accidentally stub your toe, it hurts. If you just wail on that toe, it really hurts. And I, 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 like, I like almost, I literally almost passed out. And in that moment, I was going, that was so stupid, man. That was so dumb. That was not worth it. And I'm immediately seeing the idiocy of my uh, ways. And, and, and I'm immediately feeling the ramifications of taking a desire, putting it into an expectation, then making it a demand, and then expecting her to fulfill that demand. Because really the only thing that happened is I kicked the bucket and I almost broke my toe. I mean, so, so I come limping back upstairs. Now I thought she was gone, right? Well, she wasn't. Um, but she didn't hear it down there. So she's going, oh, what's the matter, right? Which made it worse because she was being like so sweet and so like caring. And I'm like, well, <laughs> 
actually, um, you know, I said, I just got so mad from our argument that I, I kicked this thing that I thought was just light, but it was really, it was that heavy ice bucket. She's like, oh yeah. And to her credit, she, you know, she could have just burst out into laughter. She, she could have just gone, ha ha, you. But she didn't. She said, oh, I'm so sorry about that. And there was a little, little smile on the face. <laughs> you know, um, so anyway, I said, okay, I, I, I said, I think I broke my toe. And so we took off my shoe and, and by God's grace, um, I didn't break my toe, but the toe was not looking good. Have, have any of you ever lost a toenail? Anybody ever lost a toenail? Yeah, yeah. I can hear the groan of those of you who have lost a toenail. Do you know how long a toenail takes to grow back? So like, so like for, for like four months, every time I put on my socks, I'm like, yeah, that's dumb, Rome. You should uh, uh, not turn desires into expectations, into demands, and expect your wife to fulfill those. Um, and, you know, incrementally that toenail grows back. But that's, that's the nature of two eyes in a relationship. They're never going to see things the same way. They're going to have different expectations, desires, hopes, and assumptions. And there's going to be conflict. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is in a marriage, how do you manage that? How do you manage it when he says we're going that way and she says we're going that way? What kind of approach do you apply to this relationship of two big eyes who want to see things different ways? One of the ways that people approach it is the method of conquest, okay? The method of conquest is when there's one big eye and they seek to diminish the other eye, and conform the other eye to their perspective. This is like a war of attrition. It's usually the one that's louder, that talks longer, uh, that has more endurance, that's getting more rest, uh, that tries to get the other one to just see things my way, right? Do it my way and everything will be great, right? And what will happen in this, this kind of a relationship is the person who becomes the small eye tries to fulfill all of the assumptions, duties, obligations, and expectations of the other person. And for a while, they can actually pull it off. They just go, look, I just, I just acquiesce. I surrender. I wave the white flag. Just to keep this thing from falling apart, I'm going to just do whatever he or she wants me to do. And I'm just going to try to meet their expectations. It can work for a little while, but then cracks start to show up. And those cracks are resentment and anger and scorn, and ultimately rage and exhaustion. And that relationship begins to fall apart. This dynamic will not keep a relationship together. So we try another approach, right? We say, okay, not the conquest. What about a contract? What about if we just put a line between us and we go, all right, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to negotiate your stuff and my stuff. And here's my expectations. My expectations is that you'll do X, Y, and Z. And if you do those things, then I will do A, B, and C, right? But if you don't, then I'm not, right? If you don't do the thing that you said you would do, then I'm not going to do the thing that I said I would do. And you turn this into a relationship where you're always holding the other person. Now, wait a minute. Did they do exactly what they said they're going to do? And, and I'm not going to do anything more than what I'm required because we have a contract, Right? We were on a flight not long ago, and I had a suit coat that I didn't want to get um, wrinkled. And I know that a lot, a lot of flights, you can just put it in the closet. They have a closet at the front. 
But um, so I came walking in and I asked the flight attendant. I said, do you guys have a closet? I have this suit. I don't want to get it wrinkled. She said, no, I'm sorry. Very polite. But she's like, no, I'm sorry. We don't have one. And um, I said, okay. It was a smaller plane. I just thought, well, okay. I didn't even think anything of it. I sat down. I sat about two rows behind first class. And I noticed something curious. Before we took off, there was a guy sitting in first class. He took off his suit coat. He held it up. That same flight attendant came over to him. She said, thank you, sir. She walked to the front. She opened a closet which I hadn't seen, which she told me wasn't there, and she hung his suit coat in the closet. And the two things I noticed is, one, there's a closet. The second one was, it was empty except for his suit coat. So there was actually space for my suit. But she was saying to me, when she said, no, we don't have that, what she's really saying is, we don't have that for you because we don't have a contractual obligation to provide that closet to you. If you were flying in first class, then that's one of the perks or one of the benefits you get. But if you're sitting in coach, We're not going to give that to you, right? In relationships, we can do the same thing. We can say, look, you know, I could give you my all. I could go over and above. But you know what? We're just going to go along the lines of what we contracted. You're going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to go any further than I've got to go. And you're not going to go any farther than you've got to go. The problem with this relationship is that it can actually keep a marriage together for a little while. But there's no love. There's no affection. There's no intimacy in that relationship. That relationship turns into a business partnership. You're just going, look, we are transacting. This is efficiency for the purpose of keeping this thing intact so it doesn't derail. We're just going to keep it together. But here's the problem. When the storms come, when the wind blows, when the floods come up, that relationship begins to fall apart. You start to look across at the other person and go, why are we even together? Whatever it was, whatever the purpose was of keeping it together, obligation, duty, kids, whatever it is, once that is lifted, you just go, I don't recognize this person. I don't know this person. I'm in a contract with a person and I don't even want to be with them anymore, right? And the foundation of that relationship begins to crumble. So how do we then bring two people together in this relationship that will last? The scripture says that relationships are not conquest. Marriage is not a contract. The scripture says that a marriage is a covenant. And a covenant looks like this. A covenant is two eyes that remain eyes, but they are inextricably bound together. They are two who become one. In fact, when Jesus described marriage, he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and, and, and he'll cleave unto his wife, and the two of them will become one flesh. He said the two are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, he said, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. Let no man break apart. Now, this is not something that comes natural to any of us, because all of us come with our stuff. And our goals, our desires, our aspirations. But a covenant is something totally different. In fact, there's no other situation in life where we enter into covenants with other people. The covenant in marriage is this strange thing that we just, we're not familiar with. We don't, we don't see it in other kinds of relationships. And when the scripture talks about covenants, the attributes are, of a covenant are that, number one, it's a, personal, it's a personal connection. So it's not a transaction of goods or services. It's a, it's a coming together of two people, right? 
The second attribute of a covenant is that it's perpetual. If you enter into a lease or a, a, you know, a rental agreement, there's an expiration date, right? A marriage doesn't have an expiration date. It's two people coming together in perpetuity till death do us part. And the third element of a covenant is that it's unconditional. Now, a, co- a contract is conditional. If you pay me this, then I will give you X amount of goods and services, right? And if you're in a contract, the goal, because I used to do contracts, the goal is to give up the least that you can in order to get the most that you can from the other party. You want to give up the least amount of money to get the most amount of goods and services, right? But a covenant is different from that. A covenant is I'm giving 100%, period. I'm giving 100%, period. Period. But what if she only gives 70%? I'm giving 100%. What if he only is giving 50%? I give 100%. That's what a covenant is. It's not conditional on the other person meeting all of the expectations, assumptions, and obligations that you have for them. Now, the the, the crazy thing, and you know, any of you who are married or have been married and it wasn't like that, um, you know, you go, gosh, I mean, how do we even do this? This is, this is beyond my ability. This is beyond my strength as a human being. I don't have the will to enter into a personal, perpetual, unconditional covenant with someone else. How do I do that? How can I pull that off? And the scripture gives us a bedrock principle that if we can get a hold of it, if we can embrace it, we experience a greater joy, depth, strength, and satisfaction in our relationships across the boards than we ever could on our own. And, and the principle is, is, is in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people who are just like us. They were exactly like us in every respect. And he writes a letter to them and he's talking to them about relationships and he gets to this portion where he's talking about marriage. And here's his introductory line to marriage. He says, here's the principle. Here's the bedrock foundation. Submit to one another. That's his opening line for the marriage portion of how do we, how do we make a covenant work? Submit to one another. Now, the first question that I have when I read that is, but wait a minute, how can I submit to someone if I'm not, if, if I'm not confident that they're going to always do the right thing? How can I submit to someone if I'm not assured that they're going to act right all the time? What if they don't do everything the way they're supposed to do? How do I submit to that person, right? Because that seems like contingent upon what they're doing. And then he answers that question, this question, with the, with, with the, with the principle that I think is just absolutely profound. And if we get it, it's transformative. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Not out of reverence for her. Not out of reverence for him. Because sometimes he'll do things that are not worthy of reverence. Sometimes she'll do things that are not worthy of reverence. Paul says, the Bible says, submit to one another, serve one another, respect one another, honor one another, not out of reverence for the other person because that's gonna come and go, but out of reverence for Christ. What he's saying is, there's a relationship that God has with you, and it's not based on your merit, and it's not based on your, uh, uh, your strength or your goodness or your righteousness. 
He reached out to you and loved you when you were not respectable, when you were not honorable, when you were not loving. And if you want to have a kingdom marriage, a marriage that reflects the honor of God and brings deep joy and satisfaction to one another, then you have to reach out to that person like Christ reached out to you. You love them and honor them and respect them out of reverence for Christ. He goes on uh, and, and, and fleshes that out a little bit. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands, not because they're amazing, not because they always do everything right, not because they, they're rock stars, right? But as unto the Lord. He said, husbands, love your wives, not because they're always going to do everything that you want them to do, right? Love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, when you think about that, what that really means, that song that Eric sang today, when you start thinking about that, that he died for us in an unmerited way, and he took the crown of thorns upon his head and the stripes upon his back and the, the, the scoffing and the scorn, and, and he did that for us when we didn't merit it, that's what this scripture is saying. Love her like Christ loved you willing to sacrifice, willing to pour yourself out, willing to surrender for her, right? He's saying, look, you cannot possibly hold this together on your own. You've got to see that other person person through the prism of Christ. The way God sees you, look at that other person through that lens. There was a picture on Facebook not long ago that somebody put up. It was a picture of my dad um, and, and my, my grandfather. And every once in a while in, the, in St. Louis, I'll run into somebody who knew my dad. And my dad was a pastor here uh, and they, you know, a great pastor and a very beloved guy. And, and people will come up to me and they go, oh, you're Jim Rome's son? Uh, and when they find out that I'm Jim Rome's son, even if they don't know me, they show me respect and honor if they knew him because they respected and honored him. So I get this sort of like, people see me through the prism of him. And they'll say, oh yeah, we knew your dad. Man, that guy, you know, uh, we loved him. He really, you know, he was like a father to me. He was, a, he was one of my heroes. He, he helped me when, you know, I needed help. And so they have this honor for him and it transfers onto me, right? Jesus, Paul is saying in this passage, I want you to take the love and reverence and awe and honor that you have for God and transfer it to his children. Tra- transfer it to his child that's right there in the room with you. Transfer that love and reverence that you have for him to that person through love and through respect. So the one takeaway that we have, if we're going to have a relationship that truly honors God and truly affirms the other person, the only way that we cannot cover up the patches and just try to, try to keep things barely together is that we drill down into the foundation. And the foundation of a kingdom marriage is reverence for God. That's the foundation. You start by revering God and the expression of that reverence is unconditional love and unmerited respect. You say, I am in awe of God, I'm in reverence of God and I take that reverence and I extend that to his child. 
And even though things are not always exactly the way they should be, and even though I'm ticked off at her or I'm ticked off at him or I wish he'd have done this or he should have and we didn't and, you know, uh, uh, you know people have the, 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 the three-ring circus of a marriage. There's the, there's, the, there's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and then there's the suffering. You know, I mean, some, some, sometimes, sometimes we have that and sometimes you're feeling that and then you go, wait a second, wait a second, you know, God's calling me to honor her, honor him out of reverence for him, right? And so when we look at this, the way it looks to you and me is that we bring Christ right into the very center of that relationship. That's what holds it together. We look at each other through the prism of the love of Christ that we have experienced in our own heart. When you experience a God who loves you when you don't deserve it, man, that changes the way you look at somebody else. It gives you a little more mercy and grace for that other person. When you start to reflect and go, my God, you loved me when I should not have been loved. You pulled me out of the pit when I did not deserve to be pulled out. So am I going to, am I going to really hold it against that person when they don't just meet all of my expectations, right? So my takeaway for you is this. There's one application. That's it. One thing that I'm asking you to do, that I'm, that I'm uh, uh, challenging you to do in all of your relationships. Because there's only one, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that you can do that'll help, right? Um, you know, and, and I'm in huge support of them. We do a lot of counseling and we are connected with a lot of counseling and I urge people to get into counseling all the time. I love it. I think it's hugely valuable. Um, and there are books and there are all kinds of resources. But it's got to start at the foundation. And the foundation is when you say, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you her life or his life. And I'm giving you this relationship because I cannot pull this off on my own. I'm too big of an eye to be able to pull that off on my own. I can't do it. I cannot do it. She can't do it. He can't do it. So we've got to come to you and say, God, you do it. You do it and let us be willing participants in your bringing us together into this covenant. I want to invite Rebecca to come up one more time uh, as we close. Here's the application. Here's what I want you to take away. Because this is the absolute fundamental one thing that saved our relationship. When we were not yet married, um, there were times when it looked like this thing was not going to work out. We loved each other. We wanted to be together. We felt like we were supposed to be together, but it was, it was rough. It was not working out. She wasn't seeing everything exactly the way that I was trying to get her to see everything. Uh, <laughs> we didn't, we, we, we were two eyes, two individuals with our own dreams, our own goals, our own aspirations, our own expectations, and they didn't always line up. And there was a, there was a point in our early relationship where it looked like, man, this thing could go bust. This thing could totally go off the rails. And I remember that in that moment, I was a relatively new Christian. I had only been a Christian for like a year or so. Um, and, and she had known me for years when I wasn't a Christian. So it, even when we first got together and I was like, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus now, she was like, we'll see about that, you know. Well, let me give you some time. So, but I was, I was a relatively new Christian. But the one thing I had come to learn was that I couldn't do it on my own. And so I 
one day I came to Rebecca and I go, Rebecca, listen, I don't know if this thing is going to work out or not, but I really want it to. And I don't know how to do it. And one of us or both of us are going to sabotage this thing. And it's just, you know, um, we both brought our own baggage to the relationship. We both brought our own broken relationships. We both brought our own junk into the relationship and wading through all that. How do you do that? And, um, and so I said, and I was very embarrassed to do it. I was nervous to do it. I said, can we pray together? I had never prayed. I'd never prayed with a girlfriend before. I, I'd never, never done that. Never would have occurred to me. And, um, and here we are trying to, you know, form this, this relationship and, and thinking about marriage and actually planning to get married. And, and, and I said, can, and I thought, you know, she might just be like, oh, brother, you know, don't get all hyper-spiritual on me, dude. Like, you know, but she said, no, let, yeah, let's do, right? We took hands and we prayed for each other, prayed together, and it absolutely transformed our relationship from that day forward. Now, are we perfect now? Do we have like a perfect relationship? Well, my toenail is still growing out. So that should tell you that we don't, right? But what we have is this constant reminder that our relationship, if it's going to look like that, it's got to be submitted to God over and over and over again. And so when, when I was preparing for this sermon, I asked Rebecca, I said, hey, you know, what I really want to do, because I think a lot of people will not like, not want to do what I'm going to ask them to do because it's awkward and uncomfortable, but I really want people to be praying with each other in their relationships, like, like praying together, even if it's inarticulate and it's clunky and it's awkward, right? I really believe that that's the key, that you cannot have any of the other stuff unless your foundation is solid. And it begins by submitting your relationship to God. And I said, so would you, you know, like, at the end of the sermon, would you come up and, and we'll pray together for each other, you know, like we, like we do at home. Uh, and she was like, that's really vulnerable and could be really kind of awkward. And I go, I, I think that's right. And I think that's exactly what it, I, I think that's exactly why we need to do it so that you in your relationships can just go, okay, you know, no matter how weird it feels, I'm going to go ahead and say, let's pray together in a real way. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray together. And you can pray with us. You can just watch us pray for each other. Um, you could get coffee if it's too awkward. You know, you're welcome um, to. But, but we're just going to pray together. And then what I'm going to invite you to do is this week, do this. Do this with her. Do this with him. Do this with that person where there's conflict and there's tension and there's pain. You know, the, the other thing I just say before we, we, we pray is this. If you're here today and you've already said, man, I've already, we've all, I've already blown it. I've already, you know, we, I had a relationship and we were the conquest or the contract relationship and eventually the thing broke down and it fell apart and, you know, here I am. You know what? That's exactly what Christ is all about. He's about reaching out to you and going, let's do this again. We, we came with broken relationships, you know, and it's not like it's a one-shot deal. God is renewing his mercies every day. And he's saying, you know, I, I want you to, I'm inviting you now to receive this in your heart, to love one another with the love of Christ. So we're going to pray together and, um, and then we'll close. Father, thank you so much for um, Rebecca. Thank you for our relationship. 
Thank you, God, for just the opportunity to um, be here in front of this congregation and and uh, be vulnerable and and um, and and just to to let folks know, Lord, what it's what it's about to submit ourselves to you, to revere you, um, and then to seek to love one another and respect one another in a way that brings honor and glory to you. God, thank you for giving us your love when neither of us deserved it. Thank you for um, shining your mercy and grace into our hearts uh, long before we ever deserved it, and we never deserve it, but you keep doing it. Um, And God, I pray that um, Rebecca would be filled with strength and courage, um, that she would be filled with joy, that she would be strengthened, Lord, as she, um, uh, you know, raises the babies and does all the, the work that she does and serves as much as she does. I pray that you would strengthen her in all of that. Um, and God, I pray that I would be a, a good husband and serve her well and sacrifice for her, that I would show her love um, and, and in a sacrificial way, that I would be the kind of husband that you want me to be. Um, God, I just pray that you would strengthen and, and um, fortify our relationship. In Jesus' name. Lord, you created our hearts for you. In our hearts, you built an emptiness that only you can fill. You are our satisfaction. I pray that Brent will be satisfied in you. I pray, God, that his life will be a life of praise, that in everything that he does and says and thinks that you will be honored. I pray, God, that um, you will help him to be the husband that you called him to be, that the scripture requires of him, that he will love me the way you've loved the church. I thank you, God, that he loves me unconditionally. I thank you, God, that... He's a reflection of you, of your kindness, of your grace, of your love. And Lord, I ask you um, to help me to be the kind of wife that the scripture calls me to be. Not to be nagging or to be, um, you know, I don't know, to be complaining or to be otherwise just annoying. (laughs) But to love him so desperately to be in his, his encourager, to be his, um, to be his best friend, God, to um, be his cheerleader. And Lord, I ask you to protect our marriage, to build a fence around us, be a fr- fence, Lord, every single day of our lives. I ask you to build a hedge of protection around us from what the scripture calls fiery darts. And Lord, I ask you in all of our ways to help us to acknowledge you so that you may direct our paths. Amen. 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 I mean, this is, this is, uh, this is what it is. I mean, it, it, if you want to have a relationship that's a covenant where you love one another with an undying love, I don't know any other way. I really don't. I couldn't possibly have pulled it off. She couldn't have pulled it off. We couldn't have pulled it off. And it's not a one-time deal. This is ongoing. And so I just want to challenge you to do it. Just submit your heart to him. Submit your relationship to him. Submit your spouse to him. Submit your friends and your families and your, and your colleagues and your peers and your fellow students and submit them to him and let him become the prism through which you see everybody else. Because I believe that when we do that, we start to become a transformational community in the world. We become a safe harbor 
for people who are dishonored, disrespected, not loved, hurt. We become a safe harbor even for those who have done the hurting, who have made the mistakes, who have blown it, who have compromised their integrity and their relationships and their lives. We become a place where they come and they see that that this is a group of people who are honoring and loving and respecting each other with equal value and, 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 and men and women valued equally and honoring each other equally and caring for one another equally and serving one another equally. And they go, gosh, that is, that's what I would imagine that heaven would be like. I want to go and I want to be a part of that. So today I just, I say to, to all of us, let us open our hearts. Let us receive this word from, from the Lord and let us move our lives from love on the rocks to love on the rock. Let me pray for you as we close. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this day. Lord, I pray that, that, that people would have heard your word today, uh, despite what I may have said or not said or said it the right way or not said it the right way. Lord, I just pray that your, your word, your spirit pierces through and, and captures their heart. And they experience your love for them. And out of reverence for that love, they begin to love others like you have loved them. Father, I pray that everyone that leaves here today would be inspired and encouraged, that they would be strengthened and fortified in their relationships and in their life. And God, I just pray that we become a beacon on the hill, that we become a safe harbor for those who are struggling and who have been crashed against the rocks and for those whose relationships have already crumbled and for those whose relationships are showing the symptoms of of a foundational break, that we would become a place, Lord God, where they would move from love on the rocks to love on the rock, to moving into seeing and experiencing you and seeing others through the prism of you. I pray that everything that we do and say here today would bring you honor and bring you glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.